Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. The Bible has one central theme. Uh, it's not a collection of different stories. It's not a, a collection of different sections. Uh, if you read the Bible that way and, and, and say that the Bible is a book about this and a book about that, uh, you have misunderstood how to read your Bible. Uh, you, ha you have read it incorrectly. Um, and the Bible has one thing. It, it is God's promised plan to save mankind through Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, all scripture points to Jesus. However you are reading your Bible, if it doesn't point you to Jesus, then you have been reading your Bible incorrectly. I was reading in Isaiah this week and, and I saw Jesus. He was called a Redeemer. I was reading in the Psalms this week, and, and I saw Jesus. He was called a shepherd. I was reading in Genesis this week, and, and I saw Jesus as Jacob dreamed uh, and saw a ladder reaching up into heaven with angels ascending and descending uh, from heaven. Then it says he saw the Lord standing uh, above the ladder. Uh, I saw Jesus. Open to Matthew this morning and, and where Jesus says something uh, that we may find shocking to us. It may be something that you don't understand or didn't understand. Something that you've never thought about. Uh, I hope that we will think about it today. This message has surprised me as I prepared it. I have learned from this text uh, during this past week and I hope that you too will learn from it today. Um, uh, I believe if we see what Jesus is, is, is teaching us, we'll have a greater love, uh, a greater desire to obey the word of God. Uh, stand with us this morning as we read the text from Matthew uh, chapter 5, uh, starting at verse number 17, reading down through verse number 20. The Bible says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men, men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoso shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this word. And we, we pray, dear Lord, that you would just open up our, our eyes and open up our minds to know that that all of your Bible is, a, is, 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 uh, is for all of us today. Uh, that it's not, we don't have portions that we apply today and other portions that, that don't have any effect on us, dear Lord, but all of your word uh, is applicable today and we need to uh, understand correctly how to interpret the word of God. I pray to your Lord if there's any lost here today that's never been saved, 
uh, that they will see their need uh, uh, of salvation today and they'll realize that there's no way that they can save themselves, there's, there's no way that their religion is going to help them get to heaven, uh, that there's no way that any of the things that they might have been told to do to get to heaven will work except your son Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, I pray that you'll just help us to see that today and, and allow us to, to, to look at the Bible as an authoritative uh, voice in our lives. Help us to to, to know and believe the word of God and make it applicable to our lives and listen to you as you speak to us. Thank you for all you do for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The arrangement of the Sermon on the Mount is very interesting. Uh, he, he, Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount by giving us the Beatitudes. He, he started with, Blessed are those uh, who are poor in spirit, which is the exact opposite of what the world says. The world says you have to be proud and arrogant. Uh, Jesus talked about being meek. Uh, the world says you have to push yourself to the front uh, of the line. Jesus said, no, that, that's not the way to greatness. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount is in opposition to the value system of the world. But Jesus, in our text today, is saying that it all comes down to, uh, to what you ultimately believe about the Bible. Uh, I want to ask you today, what do you ultimately believe about the Bible? Uh, do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe that it's without error? Do you believe that it is authoritative? And that God, through the Bible, speaks to us today? Do you believe that? I believe that our churches today must uh, may be filled with, with people who believe in the inspiration of the Bible, uh, and, but they don't believe in the authority of the Bible. Uh, they will get fighting mad if you question what their Bible says, but they really don't intend for the Bible to get in their way come Monday morning. Uh, let me ask you a question. Where is the value? Uh, what is the benefit of believing in the inspiration of the scripture but fail to believe in the authoritative uh, scripture? Jesus was dealing with people just like that. He was dealing with people just like Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and scribes that believed that the Bible was the word of God. They handled the scrolls on a daily basis. They, they examined them closely. They, they took note to every letter uh, every, of, of every dot and every T. Uh, they saw everything. Yet when it came to daily living out of the scriptures, the Bible really meant nothing to them. Uh, uh, I, I want us to see today that our relationship to God's word ought to be. What it ought to be. Crowds had gathered around Jesus. He most likely had the disciples gathered close to him. Uh, he, he, around them would have been a multitude of people uh, trying to get close enough to hear. And, and inside that crowd were scribes and Pharisees and zealots. And a lot of people who really didn't know what they believed. They, they didn't know what they believed about the Bible. They didn't know what they believed about the second coming of the kingdom, or the coming of the kingdom. They were cu just curious. They were just checking it out. It's kind of like uh, any given Sunday morning. Some people come to pay their respects. Uh, they are not looking for the Bible to make an impact in their lives. They're not going to let the scriptures 
uh, to change them. Uh, then there are those who hang on every word, saying, God, change me. God, show me. God, do a work in my life. And then there is that curious crowd. They're not sure about this Jesus. They just want to look into it. Uh, that's the crowd that Jesus preached to. That's the kind of group of people he had. We're going to look at three things from our text this morning. And the first thing we want to see about the word of God today is, is found in verses 17 and 18. I want us to notice the permanence of the word of God. The word of God cannot die. Amen. It cannot die. The word of God is permanent. In Luke 21, 33, it says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Heaven and earth are already in the process of passing away, but the word of God is a living book. It's alive and it can never die. It will never become extinct. Jesus is telling about the permanence of the word of God as he speaks to the multitudes. Some, I'm sure, would say, uh, would be saying, this, this, is, this is all new. Uh, where, where is he getting this? Uh, who is he quoting from? Uh, this is so different uh, to everything that I've heard. Where is Jesus getting this information? Jesus wasn't teaching something new. Uh, he was teaching what he had been, had been written in the Old Testament. He was not adding anything, but he was removing what they understood about the Old Testament, told by those who were their spiritual leaders. Look at what Jesus said in verse number 17. He says, that not, that not, uh, that they, not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. He was not talking about, about just the law, the, the first five books of the Bible. He wasn't just speaking about the historical books. Uh, he wasn't just talking about the poetical books uh, or the prophets. He was speaking about the entire 39 books of the Old Testament. He's saying, don't think that I'm coming to destroy the law and the prophets. He's not coming to take the old, make the Old Testament null and void. Uh, he wasn't coming to do away with the Old Testament. Some of, some of you are going to say, but, but they were under the law, but we are under grace. There, there was never a day that man did not live by the grace of God. Uh, you, you may say, well, but, but they were under the law. Yes, they were under the law. But Noah found what? In the eyes of the Lord. Yes, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If God had not been dealing with man according to his grace, man would not be here today. Amen. Here, we are here today by the grace of God. Amen. Jesus is saying, I'm not going trying to do away with the Old Testament. Notice what it's telling us. He says the Old Testament is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Found in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's, it's good for telling us doctrine, telling us what is right. It's good for telling uh, us about reproof, telling us what's not right. It's good for telling us about correction, about how to get right. And, and, and it's good for about telling us instruction and righteousness uh, of how to stay right. Uh, that's what the scriptures are good for. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming so that you can set it aside and, and I'll show you something new. 
That's not what he was saying. Or different. He's not saying to just tear that part out of your Bible. Uh, no, in order for you to have some understanding of the New Testament, then you have to have a good understanding of the Old Testament. He said, I'm not come to destroy the law and the prophets. Can you be a Christian and deny the inspiration of the Old Testament? Do you mean, preacher, that, that, that I've got to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth? Yes, sir. Do you believe to tell, tell me that I've got to believe all that stuff about a big fish swallowing Jonah? Amen. Yep. Uh, do you mean that you what, ha, I have to believe that God uh, uh, protected three young men in a fiery furnace? Absolutely. You cannot be a follower of Christ and deny what Jesus said about the Old Testament scriptures. He said the word would never pass away, and that includes the Old Testament. He is saying you have misunderstood if you think I've come to set aside uh, something aside and give you something new. Then he said, I've come to fulfill it. There are different interpretations of what that has meant, meant uh, when he says, I've come to fulfill it. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't come to make it irrelevant. I've come to make it relevant. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. It is true that the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, that God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. It is true that when the accusers of Jesus, Jesus pointed their finger at him, that they could not cite one instance where Jesus violated the law of God. Amen. Never were they able to prove that Jesus did not keep the law. He fulfilled it in that sense, but I don't think that's what he meant, is meant here. Some would say that he nailed it to the cross, and he took it out of the way, and the law has nothing to do with us today. That's the wrong interpretation to fulfill. This is why. This is why that's the wrong interpretation. Uh, this would give man the opportunity to pick and choose what he wants. What, what he would like to keep. What he likes to keep and, and what he doesn't like he rejects. We don't have that right. We don't have that right to do that. To fulfill means very plainly to feel completely full. I'm sure that doesn't help a lot. Uh, it has the idea that the law, uh, what the law said uh, about Jesus, he filled that prophecy up full. The Old Testament was basically prophetic. Uh, you say, well, I don't see that in the Old Testament law. If you don't see that in the Old Testament law, then you haven't been reading the Old Testament correctly. We are studying the tabernacle right now on Wednesday nights, and only a handful of people uh, come for that. We learned this past week about the fine twine linen that surrounded the courtyard. How, that pure white linen that was meticulously separated from the flax strand by strand, and the pure white linen represented the righteousness of Jesus. There's only one way to get into the courtyard, into the presence of God, and that's through that one door. And friends, let me tell you, you will never come into the presence of God unless you go through Jesus. 
In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem, Judah. He fulfilled that prophecy full. In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, I called my son out of Egypt shortly after the wise man had visited the young child Jesus. God told Joseph to take the child down to Egypt to protect him, to save his life. Later, when, when it was safe, they returned and the prophecy was fulfilled. The Old Testament was a prequel to Jesus Christ. One writer put it this way, in the Old Testament is like a pencil sketch, and Christ is the full-color portrait. Uh, the Old Testament points us to Jesus. You remember when the plagues came upon Egypt? God said there was going to be death of the firstborn. He said, but take a lamb, a, a lamb that was in its first year, uh, that doesn't have any spots or blemishes, and you kill it and collect the blood and paint the doorpost with the blood of that Passover lamb. Jesus Christ was that Passover lamb. Amen. Jesus was crucified on the very day that that lamb would have been slain during the Passover week. He fulfilled the Passover. Amen. Do you remember the day of atonement, a goat? was killed, his blood was collected, the high priest with, with fear would enter into the Holy of Holies, and the Zechariah glory of God glowed over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and the priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and there was another goat that the priest would lay his hands on his head of the goat and confess the sins of the children of Israel uh, uh, to God. There were 365 different commandments that said, do not do this or do not do that. And I'm sure they had broken every one of them. So the priest confessed those sins to the people, of the people. And then a rope would be put around the neck of that goat and he would lead him, uh, that goat, into a, a deserted place. And he would turn that goat loose, loose to, to, to die alone. That goat that died and his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat uh, of the Ark of the Covenant, that was Jesus. And that goat that, whose head the sins of the people were, had been confessed and led out into the wilderness alone to die, that too was Jesus. Psalm 22 is a prophecy concerning Jesus. It talks about the bulls of Bashan had gathered around him. He talks about his joints being out of place. We read that and say, boy, that psalmist was really having a bad day. It's more than about the psalmist. He's pointing us down the road to Jesus. He, when Jesus died on the cross, in that psalm, the psalmist cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? not about the psalmist, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Then in Isaiah chapter 53, 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, the, of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he openeth not his mouth. He, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as sheep. Uh, before her shearers as dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, and he was stricken. And he made the grave his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because uh, he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. All of that points to Jesus. When Jesus said that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, he filled full. The law pictured in the Old Testament in every detail. Jesus confirmed the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. He confirmed the value of the Old Testament. He said, I did not come to set it aside and discard it. Now look at verse number 18. He tells us two things in verse 18. He tells, he, he tells us about the perfection. And, and he tells us something about the permanence of the Old Testament. He says, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass. And by the way, according to Scripture, it will pass. Uh, the earth has an expiration date on it. A lot of is being said today about saving the planet. The Bible says it will one day come to pass. Uh, uh, Jesus till, said, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Jesus is talking about the perfection of the scriptures. That jot represented the smallest letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, Yod. Uh, the title, the, the title was, was a, a stroke with the writing instrument. Uh, it, we would say today that, that every I had been dotted and every T had been crossed. You, you know what Jesus is telling us? Jesus is telling us that the Word of God is inspired by God. It's not that the thoughts and ideas are inspired. It's, it's more than just words being inspired. It is the very letters of Scripture that is being inspired by God. Please understand that we have the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Right down to the dot above the eye and the crossing of the letter T. It is all inspired by God. He only tells us about the perfection of the word. He not only tells us about the perfection of the word, but he also tells us about the permanence of the word. Heaven and earth is going to pass away. But the word of God is not. Listen to me today. There are two things that are eternal. You and the word of God. Uh, when you understand its perfection, when you understand its permanence, you will understand its value. When you need help, 
when you need strength, when you need encouragement, you can depend on this Word of God. Why do we treat it so casually? So lightly. We love to hear our preacher talk about the inspiration of Scripture. But it does us no good if we don't believe in the authority of Scripture. We have seen the permanence of the Word. Secondly, I want us to look at the priority of the Word. Verse number 19, it says, Whosoever therefore, in light of what I have just said about the inspiration of Scriptures, in light of the eternity of the Scriptures, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. You know what the Jews had done in their, in their day? That the religious leaders of that day didn't just state what they believed. But instead, they taught, uh, they would say, when they taught, they would say, uh, this is what Rabbi Hank believed. I, I mean, who quoted Rabbi Jetom had believed. Who, who also had quoted from Rabbi Billy Bob. They all were more concerned about Rabbi Wigglejaw said than what was said there about God. By God. Today it's, it's not much difference. Today is not much difference. Uh, uh, we are constantly considering what others said. Said uh, they believed about the Bible. It's it's a wonderful it, you know it's wonderful to study other books, but uh, but this Bible needs to be our textbook. It needs to be our textbook. We need we need to be more concerned about what God said than what everybody else said. The scribes have made a difference between the civil law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. And they began to find different ways around the law. It, it sounds like they were uh, uh, what's, what's going on in Washington today. Um, so they categorized the law of God. They said these are the greatest commandments and these are the least commandments. Well, what I'm saying is this. If you're looking for a loophole, if you're looking for a way around what God wants you to do, You'll, you'll find it. You'll find it. Uh, it won't be legitimate, but if you're looking for a way around the authority of Scripture, you will find a way. If you think that you have found that loophole, listen to me. The Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is authoritative. We are bound to keep the Word of God. I want you to consider this as well. It's one thing for you to be a rebel... That's another thing for you to teach your kids to be a rebel. Yesterday, as we were leaving the park, there was a man that was halfway out in the street. One of the cast members says, Sir, please don't cross right there. Go on down and cross. And he turned around and says, But if they don't come after you, you know, you go ahead and go. And he was right there with his family. And I thought about that as I followed them. They, he did come back. And I followed him back to the parking lot. I said, He's teaching his children, that it's, you know, you don't have to follow the rules as long as no one chases you down. 
And that's the message he was teaching his children. Listen, uh, it, it, you need to be careful what you're teaching your children. Uh, it, you need to be careful what they, what they see. If you make a conscious decision to not participate in the goings-on of the church, don't be surprised if your kids don't want to participate. You remember the message we had not long ago about being salt and being light? Now concerning this verse, if you are involved in the teaching of classes in this church, if you are teaching the word of God, if you are helping with the kids, if you are helping with the teens, if you are working with RU, uh, make sure you get it right. Good advice is one thing, but teaching the ways of God is entirely different. Make sure, whenever you say, whatever you say about a verse, you will share how it points to Jesus. He said, you did, he, you, you don't, uh, if you don't, you will be least in the kingdom of God. Not only does he tell us something about the permanence of the word uh, and about the priority of the word, but lastly, the purpose of the word. The purpose of the scriptures is to point us to Jesus. To point of all of scripture is to point us to Jesus. Jesus makes a statement in verse 19. It says, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let me explain this clearly. The disciples are gathered around Jesus. Jesus is seated as the custom was for rabbis at that day and time in the New Testament. And the disciples and his followers were gathered around him closely. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, they're, they're being nosy and they're jealous. They want to hear what Jesus is saying too. They want to know what their enemy is doing. And, and, and they're within listening distance. And Jesus looks into their faces of the disciples and says, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, I think the followers of Jesus were probably shocked. Uh, and I think the scribes and Pharisees were probably angry. Uh, really? Our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? There was a saying that went in the New Testament that if only two people go to heaven, one would be a Pharisee and the other would be a scribe. And Jesus just said, you've got to be better than that to go to heaven. If the scribe and the Pharisee can't go to heaven, then nobody can go to heaven. So they were wondering, is there any hope for us? For people like us? And the Pharisees were probably saying, Probably saying, who does he think he is? What does Jesus mean when he says, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven? Let me explain that question. Do you think your righteousness would ex exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? Are, are you good enough to get into heaven? H have you done enough good to get into heaven? But wait a minute, before you answer that, you know, what you think don't count. What God thinks is what matters. You know what God said? He said that all our righteousness is as filthy rags in His sight. The Bible says, for all have sinned. 
and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is not saying what people see on the outside is what matters. He is making it clear that you must have righteousness given to you only by receiving the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus. Let me explain what religion does. Religion always places an emphasis, more emphasis on the external than the internal. Christianity always focuses on the internal first. I don't understand how some churches, how some Christians try to clean somebody up before they bring them to Jesus. They've got to look a certain way. They've got to talk a certain way. They've got to behave a certain way. Let me explain. A sinner is just a sinner. And we shouldn't expect anything else but a sinner. Bring them to Jesus. Let Jesus save them. And put His righteousness in them. They will be a new creation. You'll be amazed at the changes that you see happen to them. External righteousness doesn't get anybody into heaven. And, and what about the Old Testament saints that tried to keep the law of God? Did, did they fail? Yes. Just suppose that somebody got really close to keeping all the law of God. Would that get them into heaven? No. You see, the law had one purpose. And it was to be our schoolmaster. To bring us to Christ. When you look at the Old Testament, you will see the exceeding uh, sinfulness of man. And the infinite holiness of God. When you turn to the New Testament, you will see the exceedingly sinfulness of man. And the infinite holiness of God. But in between the exceedingly sinfulness of man and the infinite holiness of God, you will find the cross of the Lord Jesus. And that brings sinful man to a holy God together. Outward conformity is not the same as inward transformation. Church members need to be inwardly transformed by the gospel of the word of God. Lost people need to be inwardly transferred, transformed by the gospel. Good everyday people need to be inwardly transformed by the gospel. There's only one way to get into the kingdom of God. There was a man that came to Jesus. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A ruler of the Jews. The same came by Jesus to Jesus by night and, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter to the kingdom of God. Amen. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Today, please understand, you need to be born again. That's the only way you can get to heaven. That's the only way you can have your sins forgiven. Today, I'm not going to ask you if you believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. I'm not going to ask you if you believe in the inerrant Word of God. I'm asking you, do you believe in the authoritative 
Word of God. Amen. That should make a difference in the decisions you make. That this Bible should make a difference in how you live. Should make a difference in the values that you have. Should make a difference in how you treat your fellow man. Amen. How is your relationship between you and the Scriptures today? How do you consider the Scriptures? When you read the Old Testament Scriptures, do you see Jesus? Do you see a pattern of everything pointing towards that Redeemer that would one day come? Maybe you're here, you're just kind of testing the waters, you don't know about this church, you don't know about this preacher, and, uh, you hang with me. A lot of people don't know about me. My wife, she's been around me for going on 37 years, and she still don't know about me. <laughs> Listen. The Word of God points people to Jesus. Amen. And we don't have the right to pick and choose which parts we're going to apply to our lives and which ones we don't. We're supposed to interpret the Bible the way it's meant to be interpreted. And when, it interpreted, when the Bible it says we're supposed to do a certain thing, don't try to argue with that. Don't, don't pick and choose. It's not a smorgasbord. It's not a buffet. It's not like Golden Corral where you can say, I don't like those greens but I sure like that shrimp and, and pick and put what you want on your plate it, it, the Bible's not that way the Bible's not always pleasant God's instructions are not always easy but God's instructions are always right and we need to trust in his word if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your savior listen religion's not going to get you to heaven some preacher that maybe uh, baptism, maybe you might be leaning on baptism or what you went through when you was a child. That's not going to help you. It's, it's important for a saved person, but if that's what you think is going to get you into heaven, you haven't been saved. Amen. Baptism doesn't save you. The Bible never said that. You must put your faith in Jesus. He is the only thing, the only bridge that we can cross that would separate an entirely sinful person from an infinitely perfect God. We can't do it on our own. We have to go through Him. He is the only door in that tabernacle fence. He's the only way for us to enter in to the presence of God. Have you made that decision today? If you haven't, the invitation's open. If you're here today and you have been saved, how about your own personal life? How have you applied the Word of God to you, yourself? Oh, I sure hope someone, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, is sure understanding this portion of Scripture. They sure need it. Is that what we think? Or do we examine the Word of God and say, Lord, please help me. Help me to see what you want me to do. Help me to be obedient to what you want me to do. If you struggle with those issues, listen, you can make it right tonight, this morning. You could just, hey, Lord, I, I, I admit I don't have a grip on things. I understand there's some things that I'm, I'm missing. There's some things that I should be doing differently that I'm just not getting there. Listen, you can make that right this morning. <clears throat> 
You can ask for some help. Quit doing it on your own. And let God help you. Let Him help you. He wants to. Will you be willing to allow God to help you this morning?